Welcome everyone to episode 485 of Virgo and the Freak. I'm your host, the Glorious League Freak, and I am joined here by the one and only, the great Paramount Eels fan, Elliot Richardson. How are you, Elliot? Good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me back on. It's been a while. Yeah, I was going to refuse to have you on after the grand final, just not having it. It's <laughs> me, uh, Elliot, just talked about that. The only thing I'll ask you about the grand final. Um, because you went to the stadium, uh, the Parramatta Stadium, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I don't, I, the only thing I want to know is like, what was that like? I know it must have been a, not a great atmosphere, but like, were people leaving early and? No, no, most people stuck around to really, really until full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a bit of a recognition that no one expected the club to get there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those grand finals where we're almost up against it from the start. So there wasn't yeah. really a, uh, a a defining moment where Parramatta lost that match. They were simply outplayed. And I think there are a lot of people simply just proud of, of how the the team had galvanised itself after a very up and down season to get that far um, by the end of the year. And the fact, you know, there wasn't there wasn't too much more they could have done to try and, and win that match. It was simply Penrith were too good on the day they were playing like a club that had played this, that were playing their third consecutive grand final and they knew what they were doing. Um, they'd learnt that lesson from from Melbourne. Um, mm-hmm. They did it to Souths the, the year before, waited waited till late, were prepared to take it deep. Um, and, 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 you know, they, they kicked us to death uh, and, and then really, really didn't give us an opportunity pretty much until the game was almost gone. You know, we, we scored a couple of late tries to bring that, um, bring the margin a bit closer and, and not look like it was so one-sided. But, you know, it was, it was always going to be tough. And as I said, um, I don't think there were too many people that were, you know, really upset with our performance. I think it was more just a case of, well, <laughs> um, there goes another another year. That, uh, we'll just tack another one onto the drought. And, I, and it, I guess that, in a way, it kind of reminded me a little bit of when Penrith played the Storm in the grand final and Penrith gave up basically 10 points through a penalty try and then penalties and stuff. And it's like, we just gave the Storm 10-point head start in the grand final. Like, that's it. It's over, you yeah. know? Um, and, and I guess, I, I don't know if you felt this, but, I mean, was there also a a feeling of, because um, that first half by Penrith was just like a an act of God, you know? I, like, I've never seen football like that. No, it was almost and, a perfect half of football. Yeah, and I mean, I don't. It doesn't really matter who you're playing against. If they play like that for a half of football, it's. I mean, what are you supposed to do, really? Like. Yeah, and we we didn't have the type of squad last year that had that capacity to to to, to really kind of turn a match around. Mm. Um, you know that our, our bench was, was mostly full of courses and guys that would come on to do a job. That if we were on top. They could, they could, they could keep going. If if we just needed to hold ground, we could do it. But to try and overturn the the, the points that were, you know, piled on by Penrith in the first half, that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's let's forget about the grand final for a yes, minute. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, this year's been weird because there's been times with the eels where I've watched them, and. I've thought they look all right, and then other times where I've thought oh, they they look a bit average, which I kind of thought that they'd have a bit of an average season. 
But then there's been other times where I've, I've been like, holy shit, they're really bad. And yet here they are sitting in sixth place. You've got to be happy with that, right? Oh, yeah, considering the, the start to the season. And, and Brad said this, and I know a lot of other Eels fans have said it too, and I agree with it. They, they're playing probably more consistent football this year than they did last year. Mm. In that when they've lost, it's been by, by fewer than 10 points. Um, and when they've won, they've tended, apart from a couple of closer games like the game against the Tigers, they've really kind of put the foot on the throat of their opponent and, and kind of... Um, uh, been pretty emphatic with the way they've won games. You know, the, the two games against the Bulldogs, the game against Manly, that first half against the Dolphins, and they didn't close it out like you, I was hoping. You know, mm-hmm. a 70-point win there would have been nice. But I think also the fact that um, the the start they had, they didn't they didn't give it up. You know, there have been occasions in the past they could start fast, put three tries on, but then mm-hmm. take the foot off the throttle thinking that the job's done, and they really just rammed it home in that first half, and then, you know, we were able to take some guys off early. We escaped that game without injury. And in terms of how up and down they've been, well, it hasn't been spoken about a lot, but Parramatta's only had their 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 top 17 available to them for one game this season, and that yeah. was against the Broncos in Darwin. And out of that, Regan Campbell-Gillard did his uh, did his groin, and he was out for eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's for, for me, it's probably more pleasing the way that we've been able to dig deeper into our squad and, and – Guys have stepped up when um, they've been called upon. Guys like Makahesi Makatoa, um, Ofiiki Ogden, even uh, Wurumu Greg, who, who's been out now um, and is out for a few more weeks uh, with a foot injury. Uh, we're hoping he's back before the end of the season. Um, but you know, not holding your breath. It's a it's a tricky tricky injury he's got to get over. That uh, I think it's a Liz Frank injury. But the ability, like I said, for guys to come in and do a job. You know, Dejan Arce coming in to replace Dylan Brown, I was really concerned, obviously, when Dylan um, did something really stupid, and he's got mm-hmm. another four weeks to think about that. Mm-hmm. But to have Arce come in and, and step up when he's played very little NRL football in the past couple of seasons, and also he, I think he was playing he was playing fullback, I think, in, in our New South Wales Cup team, to, to, so to come up into first grade but then be defending in the front line and having to play the Dylan Brown role. He's done a fantastic job, and you know if his form continues, it may be a bit of a. Obviously, Dylan's a, an elite defender, but um, Brad might have a, a thought or two about um, giving Dylan an extra week or two, maybe in Reggie's, just reminding him that um, you know his position in the NRL is a is a privilege, not a right. Yeah, and well, regardless of, of the length of his contract. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and we'll get to we'll get to Dylan Brown because uh, we were going to record this last weekend about. Mm-hmm what was it, two or three hours before we were about to record the Dylan Brown news come down, but the decision hadn't been made about his suspensions and stuff. And we're like, it's kind of up and like, we didn't know where it was going. And so no, we, we didn't want to comment on it before. Yeah. Um, what have you thought about uh, Josh Hodgson this season? Cause I, I was critical of that signing and I, I still, I don't understand it still. I think that, I don't know who they could have got as a replacement instead of Hodgson, but I just thought that he he was just a weird signing to begin with, with his age and his injury history. He's in, I believe he's still injured at the moment. Yeah, uh, he's got a neck injury. Um, yeah. Completely unrelated to his knees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, once you're a hooker and you, you start getting towards that age, um, and I think I might have mentioned it at the time when you signed him, it's like, Name the really good hookers that were over th- like 33 or thereabouts. 
that weren't called Cameron Smith. You know, there's yeah, yeah. even Danny Badiris was done. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, to when 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 we signed him, I was a little bit kind of hesitant. Yeah, the, the age and the injury history. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a little bit different to a lot of Eels fans who were very used to the Reed Marnie style of hooker that. Mm-hmm that hooker that gets in just fires the ball at a dummy half and, and looks to get the halves playing over the ad line very quickly. I actually thought, particularly towards the end of last year, and Penrith showed this in the grand final, if you go sideways too early, you're not going to make the ground that you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great when you've established that middle dominance, but while you're still trying to lay that platform, it can actually be detrimental to the way you work the ball forward because you're not working over those middle those middle forwards, right? Yeah. You, you're spinning the ball really wide and you're hoping that you end up with a mismatch on an edge or um, Mitchell Moses is able to isolate a defender. Um, and the way I saw Hodgson playing at the start of the season is about what I expected from him. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, at, he's, a, he's not Cameron Smith level, although at his peak he is probably the closest player to him. But he gets out of dummy half looking to isolate defenders. He, he's trying to put a guy like Regan Campbell-Gillard or Junior Barlow one-on-one with an opposite number and win the ruck, you know, win the quick play the ball that Parramatta then like to play off. Parramatta's done that a lot this season where they look to generate a fast play the ball and then you've got your Moses and your Brown who can play off the back of that um, and then use their speed on the edges to exploit a compressed defense or one that's panicking on an edge. Um, You know, I had this discussion actually with a group of Eels supporters who all disagreed with me, which was fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually found that the guys at Rugby League writers, um, Oscar and Jason, they did a fantastic write-up um, towards the midpoint of the season, I think just before Josh got injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they were breaking down how he was doing exactly that around the ruck, pulling the markers out of position, pulling the A defender out of position, working over the middle of the field. And a lot of the comments I got uh, when I was speaking to Eels fans, they're like, oh, we score points when Brendan Hands is on. And, like, I get that. But a big part of what Hodgson has been doing is the opposition is exhausted by the time that hands comes on. It's mm-hmm. a lot easier to get over that ad line because their middle defenders are buggered because they keep having to get up, you know, they've got a, a one-on-one tackle, they, they've lost the ruck, and then they're, they're scrambling in defense to try and hold us out. And it's later in those games that that becomes more apparent. Um, so I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't as critical of Hodgson. I also felt that, there was a definitely a feeling out period with the, the his teammates trying to work out how to play with him and him how to play with them. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, yeah. A, a couple of, you know, really poor kicks during there. Um, I disagree with Brad playing him for as long as he was. I thought the best way was 20, maybe 30 minutes max, but not beyond that. And he was playing yeah. him longer and he was falling off tackles. He wasn't closing the gate. He was showing his age. I felt that's where the big issue was more than his attack because an attack is almost something you can fix. The more games yeah. you play – the, bet, the more you get used to it. And there was one, it was early in the season. Um, I, I don't think it was Sean Lane, but it was the left edge. And Hodgson has identified that he has a half on a back rower. So the d- defensive half is, is at a defender and he's on a back rower. Hodgson gets out the ball play and the entire left edge is asleep mm-hmm. because obviously Moses has called the ball on tackle three or something. But Hodgson's gone. We have the numbers and I've got the size mismatch, but no one went with him. Yeah, And later in the season, you started seeing Brendan Hands play a little bit more like that. Um, and the, the players are willing to go with him. And that's one of the other reasons I think we signed Hodgson is we've got Brendan Hands and he needed someone to mentor him, a really experienced hooker. And we've also got Jaden Yates, who's coming through um, reserve grade for us at the moment. Mm-hmm. And again, they've both spoken about the um, 
the benefit of having Hodgson around the group. And I've seen some people go, oh, you can just get a, a hooker coach. I think it's different. You know, yeah. there's not that many hooking coaches going around, but you've also got someone who is in and around the squad and literally on game day is with you and can go, you know, give you that little bit of feedback that you might need or help you in that that film room to identify things that you pick up as a guy who's played 250 first grade games and can go, you know, I look for this or I look for that or, um, you know, this is what I'm looking to do with this part of the field. Uh, and I think that's been a big part of, of Hans' development this year because he's, he's played a lot better than I expected. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you very much, by the way, for, for sending him our way um, <laughs> and, then, and then releasing Apocyte Coruscant. Thank you very much for that. It's so it's cra- Isn't that crazy how many players Penrith just spread across the comp and, like, they should be crap by now. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's so weird. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, look, they've come back to the pack a little bit. They're a little not, bit, yeah. Um, blowing sides away like they were, and it's very much a, a tussle at the top of the table mm. between you guys and Brisbane, and there's Cronulla not far behind Melbourne, of course, are, are doing what Melbourne does every season. It tends to be like grinding souls into the top four, and surprise, surprise, they're in another final series. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I thought Penrith. Um, I think the big thing for them has been the, the loss of Kikau. Uh, yeah, that's really changed their attack quite exactly, a bit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, I mean, for Parramatta, there was a lot of talk coming into the season about the loss of Isaiah Papali'i, the loss of Reed Marnie, um, and even to a lesser extent, the loss of a guy like Murata Nyakore and, and Ray Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that we actually kind of missed Ray Stone last year after he did his knee. Yeah. That uh, kind of energizer bunny that comes off the bench and he's a, an aggressive defender, and as he showed, he can fill in at hooker if you need him to. Um, and Murata Nyakore, who's was amazing for us. I was sad to see him go. Uh, fair enough. He's a Kiwi. He wanted to go back home and, and his, his partner had given up a fair bit to come to Australia with him. So mm-hmm. by all means, you know, if you need to go home, go home. But, um, you know, his ability to play in the middle, play on edge, play in the centres, um, you know, I, I thought we were really going to miss him. I remember talking to my dad at the end of last year going, who's going to take his spot on the bench? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that guy who can come on, um, he runs really hard. He tackles really hard but he's also got some really nice skills and, and some good speed. Uh, and as I said, I've been pleasantly surprised by Wiramu Greg. He, he was a project player when we bought him from the Cowboys and he hadn't shown a hell of a lot for us. Kind of, he's a big body, but he looked very much like a, a, a big body who wasn't very fit. Mm-hmm. And he's gone from being able to play 10 or 15 minutes a game. I think he's the biggest stint so far. He's had his 25, I think close to 30 minutes, I think, when, when Junior was out for Origin 1, which is immense. He, he's been unbelievable for us this year. I think he was averaging like 130 metres a game off the bench um, and was kind of really bashing the door down, saying, I'm, I'm next man up. You know, mm-hmm. you guys need me, I'm next man up. Uh, and then, like I said, you've got Makahesi Makatoa, who's very much been that journeyman guy for Parramatta and comes off the bench and does a job, but this year seems to, I don't know, be running harder or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, he seems to be uh, making a lot more meters than he was. And then also off of Ogden, again, one of those guys we've picked up kind of on the scrap heap, was playing reserve grade for the Bulldogs. I think got an injury, um, played some garbage minutes for us last year, but this year has really, again, put his hand up. He's starting this week against um, the Warriors with, with Reg in um, origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then other guys, you know, young guys like Luca Moretti, who's, who's come on and debuted and, Again, he's very seems to be very much a Brad Arthur style player to run hard, tackle hard, um, do your job, and um, make sure you make that extra effort. And then, of course, uh, Jermaine Hopgood, who I mean, I'm an Eels fan, but he's by the year. 
He's, yeah, he's been amazing for them. You know, I, I remember when we signed him last year, like that, that was a brilliant signing. The guy yeah. who won, uh, won Player of the Year in New Wales Cup last year, um, he would play a lot more first grade if Isaac Yo wasn't your lock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he's been outstanding. Just his leg speed through the middle, uh, his extra efforts in defence. I think it was round one or round two. It was like uh, the 80th minute or something. He was coming across in cover defence on the sideline mm-hmm. to, to affect the tackle. And then um, his ball playing has been elite. You know, I thought we'd really struggle in the middle there with trying to work out how to manage Ryan Madison. Mm-hmm. Uh, given I didn't know who was going to play right edge. Uh, and then for Jermaine Hopgood to come in and, and nail himself down as the starting lock for our side, enabling Ryan Madison to do what he was doing best last season, which is come off the bench for 60 minutes and play it on edge or play in the middle wherever he's needed. Or in the case this week, play as the largest 5'8 in the NRL. <laughs> um, but yeah, having Jermaine Hopgood there has really solved the B headache for us and added... Uh, added I don't know, it's not necessarily a ball-playing capability because obviously Ryan Madison can do that and he's very adept at doing that. But almost a guy who, uh, I think he surprises some defences with, with those with those offloads. Yeah, he he adds a he adds a, a wrinkle in the middle of the, the mm. field that I think Parramatta has missed in the past. Like, when you get on a roll with the, the Eels, it, it, there's a lot of... Uh, it just because of the the plays that you've had in the past, it's just like straight up and down, and they can run over the top of you. To be fair, like why would you why would you change that? But he just adds a little bit to that, a little bit of a variation. And as you say, you you can see it when an opposition team gets caught out by it. It's really interesting. Yeah, the Dolphins found that out. Um, it was funny. I, I was watching the highlights, and I think they were saying, "Oh, Dejan Arcee with like a nice ball there for Andrew Davy." And I watched a replay, and I'm pretty sure it was Jermaine Hopgood who popped that ball to him there. He crashed yeah. through the line. Yeah. And again, it was because he'd run hard. Defense is like, oh, we've got a number up here. So you've got, you know, the edge defender squeezing in on Hopgood, and then he just pops this nice little ball and sends a teammate through the gap. And then he did that, I think, against Manly, and he, he ran. He just ran through Manly's mm-hmm. defense at one point, the same with the Dolphins. So he's also got that to his game too. I think he actually... If you try and compare him, it's very much, I think, a more Cameron Murray style of player that he is. That yeah, he's got he that bit, really yeah. aggressive running style. Um, he generally generates quick play the ball for us. Um, he's probably got, I'd say, better ball playing hands at the line than Murray does. Murray does more of your distribution, or he's got, he does have a very nice round the corner offload as well, does, does Cameron Murray. Mm-hmm. But he tends to pass more a bit further from the line, and Hopgood tends to pass more into the line. He'll take, yeah. he'll take that whack. Um, and then, you know, get the ball to his teammate. Uh, and then I think the other thing to talk about there is, is another former Panther, Bryce Cartwright. <laughs> yeah, he's he's been he's, – the difference between him this year and last year, like I feel like last year and previous years, uh, he's been a – man, it would be good if he just player, you know? He has yeah. everything you need to be a really good player, but he never brings it together. And I feel like he's – probably simplified his game a little bit this year and it's helped him so much. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. His his first thought now is run. It's not pass. It's not mm. skip across the field or run sideways. It is run the ball hard mm-hmm. and then, then allow the ball playing to come off the back of that. And you're right. It has simplified his game so much. Uh, the other thing has been really nice to see is his defense has improved. You know, he's not yeah. that turn style he was at the Titans, oh, which man. is what hilarious they, times. What did they do to him? Like, he was a dude that was 
on the verge of being like a New South Wales player at Penrith. He's got a he's got a number eighteen jersey, doesn't he? I'm pretty sure Does he was eighteenth man for for one Origin game when he was at Penrith. It wouldn't surprise me because he was like right there, and because when all of these young Penrith players were come through, like he was he was right there. It was like Cartwright, Cleary, and like he was one of them. Mm. And then he goes to the Titans, and he 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 turned into a joke. He turned yeah, into a punchline. Yeah. Um, man, it's taken him a long time to sort of shake that now, eh? Yeah, yeah. But like I said, it's it's been really good to see him in this type of form consistently too because Bryce could always put it together for a couple of games, but mm-hmm. he couldn't do it for a season and he's done mm-hmm. it all year. Like he has nailed down that right edge to the point that Brad can't move him. Like it's it's Ryan Madison coming off the bench because Bryce Cartwright has been fantastic for us. Yeah. Uh, it's just that, yeah, he's, he seems to have that real attention to detail that he's been lacking and that willingness to just run the ball hard, but also putting away that that risky offload. Yeah. It doesn't just come flying out the, the ruck. There's quite often it's it's hitting a teammate on the chest or a teammate in a much better position. And um, I think he showed it. He's got a, he's developed an, a nice little understanding there with Will Penasini. And mm-hmm. I know the Dolphins were terrible against us, but he he set up, I think, three tries or three line breaks that led to tries just by taking the ball to the line, either popping the, the ball early or getting through the, the contact and then being able to throw a nice offload. And he's really shown... Um, a maturity in his game that he hasn't previously had. But like you said, I don't know what they did to him at the Gold Coast, mm. <laughs> but they seem to have absolutely destroyed him. They really they really did. It's, there's no other way to put it. I, I think the cool thing that I've seen from him this year is, and even last year, and he didn't play too bad last year, but it was inconsistent, you know, because yeah. he would do something really good. And then he'd have a game which was he was just so-so. He didn't do much. But then he'd just have these moments where it's just a, absolute killer where it's like why is he trying to pop a pass on our 20 meter line like, yeah. and it, it's a knock-on and, and those those little plays that just were killers even the opposition fans watching are just like oh that was horrible you know um so it's but it has been good to see him turn it around the only real play you lost that it, it, it like papali is it papali or did he take change his name papali okay Probably he when he he's the only one that I've watched and been like, oh yeah, the Eels could still use him. And, and I unfortunately I feel like he's been fantastic for the Tigers, but eventually that Tigers stuff wears you down, and I, I feel I worry it's going to wear his performances down as well. Hasn't so far, but he's really the only one that I've seen leave the club from last year where I've been like. Oh man, they could still use him because I've been shocked by Reed Marnie's performances for the Bulldogs. I think they've been okay to absolutely horrific, and you have done all right without him, and that surprised me a little bit. So for Reed, I wasn't overly surprised mm-hmm. that he struggled at 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 the um at the Bulldogs. He's a, he's a small body. He's yeah. a little guy, uh, and he had the benefit at Parramatta of playing behind a pretty dominant forward pack. Mm-hmm. With some really big guys in the middle that could that could shield him if needed, um, and he doesn't have that at the Bulldogs. He's targeted relentlessly by the opposition, and, and we did it to him. You know, the mm-hmm. two games that we've played, um, you know, our backs were, were were lining him up when they ran the ball. Let alone Regan Campbell Gillard and Junior Barlow, who both yeah. singled him out and ran straight at him. Um, you know, I, I think that I think some of the pressure has got to him as well, coming as a big signing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he had a lot more, obviously, good graces at Parramatta 
being a, a guy who'd progressed through our under-20s um, and there was a lot of kind of patience around him with him developing his game. You go to a, uh, a new club as a big money signing and you're expected to produce results immediately. And I think we saw that on the weekend with his comments in the, the press conference. Yeah. Um, that didn't go down well and I wouldn't expect it to. But yeah. I think it also showed that he's still, um, you know, still learning in the NRL. Uh, there's a, probably a reason that I, I'm pretty sure he's, he was not in our senior leadership group last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've probably got a lot more experienced leaders in our side, you know, guys like Clint Gutherson, uh, Mitchell Moses Jr. I think Reg might be in it. And I think Sean Lane as well, you know, guys that have, you know, that have played a lot of football or have got a, you know, a fair bit of life experience as well that they can, um, they can draw on to help guide the team. And I think that's probably also what's missing there at the dogs is a really, really experienced member of their spine who can kind of galvanize a side. Um, but Papali, I, you know, <laughs> I think the, the, the discussion there is more about how much is he worth too? Like that's true. That's true. Still be worth paying him 650,000. If we lost uh, a Bryce Cartwright or a Buramu Greg, um, yeah. I think a big focus from Parramatta and you're going to see this more as the, the years roll on is um, effective use of the salary cap and, and clever junior development, as well as astute um, purchases, guys like Jermaine Hopgood, where you go, well, you can play first grade for us, um, mm. but you're not going to cost a lot. Or, you know, you've been with us since you're 15. So, you know, your first handful of contracts aren't going to be expensive. Very much, very similar to the Penrith model um, yeah. in that respect. Uh, and, yeah, I think the funny thing with Ice is when he came to Parramatta, I saw him very much as a, as a middle forward who'd come off the bench and, mm-hmm. and help lift our intensity. And he started there for us. And then um, uh, Ryan Madison got knocked out and he had to play on a right edge. And, we went, oh, wow, this guy who runs the ball really hard tends to be really good against smaller players. <laughs> Let's yeah. keep him there. Yeah. But I actually think that he's, his most value to Parramatta was playing in the middle because, and this occurred in the grand final, we did not have anyone on the bench who could come on and either maintain the rage that was set by Junior or kind of pick the side up if we were trailing. Yeah. And... I felt like Isaiah Papali'i could do that. And, you know, funnily enough, this season it's, it's been Wiramu or it's been Ofihiki Ogden who's come on and they've had a couple of big, big charges down the middle that you kind of uh, – we haven't noticed so much when, when Junior and Reg go off. Um, and then also the, the bonus of being able to call Ryan Madison onto the field so you kind of keep that big body ball playing through the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if for the right price, I'd have ice back at the side <laughs> without a doubt. Um, yeah. It's hard when with the forwards because, I mean, I've said this for many years now, this is a golden era of forwards in the NRL. Like, there's just so many, and there's so many of them that are, like, unheralded players that are just really bloody good first-grade players. They don't make mistakes. They're there every week. They do the work, and you don't notice it because they're so good, and there's so many of them, and... And, yeah, it's a real balancing act of who do you pay overs for? And it's it's really, really difficult. It's one of those those things that I'm glad I'm not making those those decisions because I would get wrapped up in the, um, you know, in wanting to keep everyone together, you know, yeah. and you just can't do it. You can't afford yeah. to. You've seen that with Spencer Lenu going to the Roosters. Yeah, like um, it would be great to have – it would be great to keep him, but – it's not smart. It's not smart to pay the overs for it. 
no, and um, yeah, I think obviously you've got a lot of money tied up there in Cleary, mm. um, but also there in you know Fisher Harris and Moses Leota, who are um, who are fantastic middle forwards, and obviously Izo as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just, it's, it's a really and just rotating basically, uh, you know, second rows through. I mean, we've got Liam Martin as well, but which I I just hated myself hearing that coming out of my mouth. Oh, we've got <laughs> we got that Australian second rower too. It's like fuck yeah. you, league <laughs> freak, fuck prick. But uh, but basically, getting to a point where you can rotate more budgeted second rowers and and bench players through that as well. Um, yeah. And Spencer Lin, you you just can't do it. You know, it it sucks in a way, but it's it's fantastic for that we're at this point with the game where there's so many quality players like that. Mm. And we also had, you know, we also uh, let Oregon Gafusi go to Cronulla, mm-hmm. um, and he came through with um, Stefano Utoikamanu as well. They were, I think, uh, junior teammates. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's it's not fantastic when you've got a guy that you've brought through as a literal grew up in the Parramatta area, played Parramatta district rugby league, played in our junior ranks, represented, mm. you know, junior, junior blues. And then you've got to let him go. Yeah. But in saying that again, you know, we weren't prepared to pay the money that Cronulla was when we had other guys that, that were going to cost less and do the same job. And I think that's the, the, I think it's Mark, Mark of both a, a good club, um, but also one that's, that's, um, managing its salary cap pretty well yeah because uh, you'll see other clubs that will just that will just spend the money and go we've got to keep him got to keep him uh and then you end up overpaying a player or you lose a guy that you shouldn't lose yeah yeah and and i have always felt like i mean paramount has got a really good junior base it's i mean what would it it's probably second in the in sydney in size you know? i think it's second to to Penrith. Yeah, and so, but I at the same time I feel like they've got to be so much smarter about who they do make decisions when mm. it comes to their juniors because um I sometimes they don't you know Penrith junior base is so big that it's just you know it's a numbers game and I've said that before it's like you've got that many juniors of course you're going to get a certain amount, like if if zero point zero zero one percent of them are, are test quality players, you might end up with three test players that come through. You know, yeah, yeah. that that's the that's the thing that they've got behind them. Parramatta, I feel as though because it, it it they it's not a pure numbers game like that for Parramatta, so they've got to be smarter about who they do keep, who they do let go, and I think they do a pretty good job of it too. They they completely overhauled their junior system at the end of 2018. Mm-hmm. So there was the review at the end of that year because of the wooden spoon. Um, and one of the, the key things they identified was a lack of kind of a parameter identity to the junior grades yep, um, yep. and a lack of, of appropriate junior development as well and talent identification. So they went through and, and refreshed the entire thing and uh, they went through and, and actually split the parameter district into north and south. Oh, really? I beach. didn't know that. Yeah, that. so basically they have a camp for the kids that are in the northern section and a camp for kids that are in the southern section. And yeah. to basically increase the, the numbers, right? So instead of having one camp, they have two. Mm-hmm. But both camps have the same number of, of kids that are brought into it. I think it's from the age of 13. Mm-hmm. And I think we've actually got an agreement with Penrith where they actually play some some matches that are kind of like unofficial trial matches for like SG Ball and the like. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's for those young kids so that when they're 13 or 14, they get their first Eels playing kit. And mm-hmm. then it begins that talent identification begins from that age and they can start to work out who they think is going to, you know, become that NRL player. And you're slowly starting to see that occur now because, um, you know, it's been in place since 2019. So there was a, a little bit of luck, you know, with, with us getting Dylan Brown and, and Reed Marnie and Oregon Kafusi, yeah. those guys that came through in 2017, 2018. Um, Murata Nukore was part of that as well. But now you're starting to get the next wave of juniors. Will Benassini is one of them. Sean Russell is one of them. Um, Hayes Dunster is another one of them. Uh, and then you've also got uh, within uh, you know, Luca Moretti, who's made his NRL debut this season. And then you've got slightly below that age group, Jake Arthur was one, slightly below the age group, you've got Ethan Sanders, um, Sam Tuavadi, uh, Jock Brazel, Blake Tuolungi, Richard Penasini. Um, there are as a, there's probably a, a good core, I think, of about half a dozen uh, teenagers, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, that are, are coming through our grades at the moment. Some have played, uh, I think, a, maybe one or two New South Wales Cup games. I think we've got three of those players uh, will be playing under 19s, I think, um, for the Blues, I think, next week. Mm-hmm. So it's like that little production line is starting to to, to come to fruition. And we are going to have some of those problems, like Ethan Sanders is probably the highest-ranked um, halfback in the in the the junior systems. Mm-hmm. How are we going to keep him when we've re-signed Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown to long-term deals? Now, obviously, yeah. Moses is is nearly thirty, yeah. So that pathway will open up. But it's how do we manage Sanders' development? Where we're going to go? You have a spot here, and this is how we're going to develop you into an NRL player and prevent him from leaving. Yeah, uh, you know. Uh, Whereas, you know, you've also, we've then had the kind of almost basically forced into play Will Benassini and he's become one of the outstanding centers in the game mm-hmm. uh, on that, on that right edge. Uh, very, very similar to, uh, I liken him uh, to Michael Jennings, that kind of almost tank like player uh, mm-hmm. plays on the edge. He's got really, um, really good footwork, good ball skills. Probably better than Jennings when Jennings was that age. I think Jennings was just an out-and-out speed machine. Um, yeah, and Je- Jennings had like yeah. the thing that Jennings had too was like when he when he turned the speed on, it was instant, and yeah. it it was it was like like some of the best instant like yeah. acceleration of any player I've ever seen. So I, I think that's probably another difference too. Yeah, so I'd say, you know, obviously Jennings probably faster. I'd say mm. Penasini probably the better ball player and positioning his outside man. Yeah. Uh, and, and at this stage of his career, probably that that uh, tougher ball runner. Jennings got a lot better at that as he got older. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, we should say we're talking about young Michael Jennings, not like yeah. – <laughs> not that when he slowed right down Michael Jennings no. or when he was on the supplements and he's become really good <laughs> at the end. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. He's uh, – He's, he's definitely the more all-round player, and whereas Jennings had that that top-end speed and it, like it was boom, he's gone. It didn't matter. Whereas whereas Panasini definitely has more of a more all-round game. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we'll probably go into a bit of origin talk here. But the fact that Greg Alexander said, "Oh, we didn't even talk about Will Panasini, but we picked Bradman best," I was kind of like, <sighs> Man. "What are you doing?" Yeah, like. I'm very happy that Will wasn't picked because we're missing yeah. enough players as it is. And the last thing we need is Wonga Blake back in the centres. <laughs> Said every club that I've had him. 
Yeah, I know. He's he, as a center, he makes a fantastic winger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but to have you know, like the supposed brain tru- brains trust of the Blues with one of mm-hmm. the best up and coming centers in the game, and mm-hmm. you go, oh, we didn't even discuss him, but we've picked this other guy. Now look, Bradman Best is clearly talented, um, and he's a very big physical body, but you can't tell me he's within the top four centers eligible for New South Wales this season. No. No, not at all. Like, and when he said that, because I, th- I think people probably thought I was going to defend Greg Alexander because he's like, I mean, his family, Tanny Bonnie and Penrith, Greg Alexander, his yeah. family member. <laughs> um, but yeah, when, because, and I think the Bradman Best selection is outrageously bad. I, I think that he, I said in the podcast that we did earlier today with Andrew, I said he's, like the sort of football player that a dumb person watches for five minutes and says, wow, he's amazing, but you've got to watch the whole game, you know, um, yeah. that they didn't pick uh, Isaac Tago. It, to me, is absolutely insane because the last few weeks he's been like a destroyer of worlds. And I just it seems like that would be a, a smart way to go, especially with all the Penrith plays in that New South Wales team. But then, yeah, when he said we didn't even discuss Penasini, and I was like, I don't think it's quite his time at the moment. No, I like, I, I don't think. But man, you should be talking about him. Yeah, like maybe he's the guy you bring in as 19th man to go, okay, we're going to get him ready for the next, you know, kind of next generation of origin players. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I will say to that is, um, and it's going to sound kind of very one-eyed, but when Cleary was the halfback, it was all about um, – combinations right yeah. Yo plays at lock because he knows him Crichton's playing because he knows him yeah um Luai because he knows him but then when Mitchell Moses is selected they don't even discuss Parramatta's right center where Moses plays on the right edge for Parramatta and plays yeah. some of his best football attacking the right edge like we can go back to the second origin game where Moses count the numbers on the short side goes down the short side and then no one went with him yeah, and my dad and I caught like literally called each other and went, "If that's Will Benazzini, that's a try because he's in Moses's pocket because he knows he's going to do that." Um, and kind of like I, I agree that probably it's not might not be Will's time, but like yeah, how do you not discuss him? How do you not go? Well, look between him, Tony Staggs, and Isaac Tungo, one of those three will be in the the squad this year or yeah. this this game three, and to basically go, okay, we're going with Bradman Best, who's played one good game of football across 80 minutes against, against Bulldogs. Not, yeah, against a, a buy round, basically. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, I mean, they've got form for that. You, know, you can go back to them picking Siasipa Talakai and then dropping Katoni Staggs after his injury shoulder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's uh, it's uh, it's baffling. Um, it, it really is. Uh, I, and, like, I, I, did, I did it. I've, I talked about this in the last episode. So anybody that's listened to the last episode, I get it. But I went through how many combinations of different things they've had in these Origin games. Like we've had three different halves combinations, three different centre combinations, two different front row pairings, three different starting hookers if Cook does start. And it's just outrageously bad coaching. Like, um, like because there was a lot of criticism well, there wasn't as much as there was of Cleary in the first game, Cleary and Luai. Mm-hmm. And then in the second game, I think it died down because people saw that Moses come in and he was asked to do the same sort of job. Mm. It, and it's 
it's an old coaching style. It's been out for like nearly 20 years now. This halves on one side of the field to the other. Yeah, like it's, and, it's 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 mind blowing that. Yeah, thing. and so and now we've got like uh, Moses and Cody Walker, and when, when we were talking about it earlier, it's like it's not even worth talking about the halves because they're just going to be asked to do the same thing, and it's not really going to work. And you know, I'm not going. We're not going to be critical of them. And I do think that it has made me reevaluate when Walker did play for New South Wales under Fittler a few years ago, and it didn't work. And it's like, yeah, no wonder it didn't work. He's asking these, you know, square pegs going round holes that no one's been using round holes for 20 years, man. Yeah. Um, so, like, I wasn't critical of Moses in that first game. I didn't think he did much, but no half is going to do much. No half has no. done much for New South Wales for so long. And it's, you've got to ask why and it's their coaching style is so outrageously old it's really weird so I wrote this on one eye yesterday there was a, a blog put up questioning whether or not we you know people agree with junior being being dropped and look he hasn't been the junior that he was last year but he's still mm-hmm. a very very good prop and yeah. the point i made was brad fitler has managed to coach new south wales this long because of a handful of outstanding games by tom fraboyevich and latrell mitchell yeah like, yeah that is literally when you look at the highlights of Brad Fittler's origin side, it is those two going berserk in a handful of games that has won them series, right? It's not been because he's, there's been this, like he's, he was lauded as his genius because he played Mitchell and Trebojevic in the centers during the height of Volandis ball, um, <laughs> where, you know, if you got on a roll, you literally could not be stopped. Yeah, you um, won. Yeah, yeah. You won, and you won convincingly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once it actually gets down into a battle of tactics and the like, he's been shown up again by, you know, Billy Slater and Cam Smith and Jonathan Thurston mm-hmm. um, because they obviously very clearly understand how the game is currently played and know how to give their players the tools. Like, And as you said, you know, no half is going to do anything in this Blues setup the way that they're being coached. And the ultimate highlight of that was during the second Origin game, mm-hmm. when even when Queensland were working the ball out of their own half, Munster and Cherry Evans had their hands on the ball constantly around the ruck, oh, constantly geez. probing. They were constantly bringing their back row onto the ball. They were looking for that weakness, and then they'd exploit it. Whereas, and they're off said, each other's hip. They're exactly. not one side of the field. And the other, like, they're working together next to each other. Yeah. And, yeah, I just, I again, I don't think Moses did too much wrong in the second game, and he didn't. He didn't really, he wasn't really able to do much, you know, in uh, attacking wise. Um, but I felt he was very much set up to not do much. And yep. I think even his selection in this game, again, I, I'm not holding my breath that he's going to be able to, you know, win this applause the game if he's being asked to play like he did in, in game two, because nothing's going to happen if he if he's being asked to play like that. Mm-hmm. But also, I think. That again, yeah, the, the 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 structure Fittler has put in is very much that almost Penrith style of, of play, which is fine at NRL level when you've got guys that have played next to each other for years mm-hmm. and the passing is crisp and you're up against defences that are going to have a couple of defenders that make the wrong choice. You can have some inexperienced guys that can't read a play um, and you can exploit that. At origin level, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. It's an eight-metre defensive line. It's not 10 metres. Everyone knows that. You're going to have less time. And if you don't suck the defenders in in the middle, you're going to have no room on the edges. And um, when the discussion was around whether Junior 
deserve to be dropped. My point was Brad has never used him properly. Mm-hmm. Brad Fittler, that is not Brad Arthur. Mm-hmm. Should give Brad Arthur a call and ask him how do you use Junior Bar- Junior Barlow to the best of his ability? Because he is a gigantic ball playing prop. Yeah, here on an edge and ball play a guy into a hole. I've never seen him do that for New South Wales. Um, Brad seems to just uh, okay. The two big guys, you just run as as hard as you can into the into a set defensive line, and then we're going to set up for a play on play four. If we get to the right tram line, we're going to swing it back to the left. That's what it seems to be how he's being coached. Yeah, and okay, you can use Junior like that, but that's not what when he's at his best. He's at his best when he can carry that ball into the line with a player on his on his hip, and he's got that ball playing option, or when he's looking to throw that offload. Like you you watch that blue side there is no one sniffing around the ruck for an offload no one's yeah. expecting the ball to be popped out the back because no one does it because it's like yeah. well we've got to set up for play four because we've got to get to this part of the field um junior is at his best when he runs the ball hard and then he's looking to ball play or he can get that late offload away or he can you know slip a guy into a, a dominant ruck position and then there's a quick play of the ball that comes off the back of that he's always played his best for Paramount when he plays like that and now Brad's gone and dropped him and, and picked Regan Campbell-Gillard, who is just throughout Brad's tenure as head coach, I think has been so hard done by. Mm-hmm. Um, he's basically always been kind of like the last port of call mm-hmm. for, for Fitler to call upon when he's been one of the best front rowers in the game for the past couple of years. Uh, and obviously he was injured for game one. He'd only just come back from injury from game two. But again, there's a double standard. Latrell Mitchell is brought into camp for two consecutive games with an injury. And then he's ruled out. But Campbell mm-hmm. Graham and Regan Campbell Gillard aren't given that opportunity to get fit in camp. Yeah, and it, it it's just man, it's so frustrating. It is so frustrating. They're so overcoached, and they're overcoached into an old style that used to work a long time ago and hasn't been part of modern day rugby league for many many years now. And uh, it's uh. I can't wait to get a new coach. It'd be good to get a new coach next year when, uh, and hopefully they've they've seen rugby league in the last ten years. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get a feeling that, that Billy Slater is constantly thinking about how does his Origin team play, you know, and he's very much in and around the current NRL setup. Like he's a yeah. coach and consultant for for the Storm and coaches their backs. Like he's also, in amongst it. I also think that. Billy Slater knows that when he picks when he picks his Queensland team, and he's got a few advantages in that some of them are, have been around a long time. DCE mm. and Munster like that. I mean, they're so experienced as a halves combination. Yeah. You don't. And I said this a few weeks ago. He doesn't bring them into camp and say, "Listen, I want you to play this way. I want you over here. You over here. We've got this." Like he just says. You're the halves. You're the Queensland halves. I selected you guys because I want you guys playing the way you do. Go out there and play friggin' football. Yeah. And I don't think Brad Fittler does that. I think he says he he has this really regimented style of play. And you made a really good point a few minutes ago. Like, And when Fittler has won Origin Series, it really did paper over the cracks in his style of coaching. And we all fell for it, all of us, because yeah. we loved being able to win a series. It was great. Um, but it's been exposed over time. And 
yeah, a, a couple of really good performances and a couple of games where Queensland were very un-Queensland like, and we got it, we got some series out of it. And but in the long run, it's man, it's been really bad for for New South Wales because if you think about it, I mean, in the middle of the field, if you have Damian Cook and then you have Junior Borlo, and then you've got Luai. And you just think of all of the ball playing and footwork amongst just those three players. Mm. New South Wales should be a, a friggin' nightmare in the middle of the field. And yet those three players can have nothing to do with each other somehow under Brad Fittler. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of it's kind of impressive. Yeah. You put those three together and they are almost given free reign to play the way that they they like to play. I think you'd see a, a very different New South Wales side. I mean, coming into this third game as well, I'm also a bit concerned with that he's stuck Clint Gutherson on the bench. Very much yeah. of the opinion of, of you either start him or you're not playing him. Yeah, Again, it, it look, seems like a very Nico Hines selection. Like, he's good. Does. I think I should pick him. I don't know where I'm going to play him. I'll stick him on the bench just in case. Like, first of all, yeah, it's that's a our no win situation too. Like, there's nothing that Gutherson's going to do off the bench. Like Nico Hines, where mm. it's going to we're all going to be saying, oh, how about so-and-so off the bench? It's just a no-win situation. Yeah, he's he's not a Craig Wing that can come on and his <laughs> natural position is like a running forward or a dummy half. Like, he could play that role, sure. <laughs> That's not his natural position. Um, you know, you know, should Tedesco get injured or something or someone in the back line, okay, brilliant, you can play Clint Gutherson there. But his best attributes for Parramatta or his support play through the middle and around Mitchell Moses, and just his complete determination to to compete at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what he's made his career on. You're losing those two best things by playing him off the bench. Yeah, it, it makes. And you know, if we if we get a say, we lose a centre in the first minute again. <laughs> <laughs> if Gutherson is put into centres, well, and we've seen him in the centres for origin, it just doesn't mm. work. It's it's no. not his position it's, at it's that a, level. It's been so long since he's played actually in the centres. I think it's 2017 was the last time he played there in a club game. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's going to be putting him on a hiding to nothing. The only player he can really go in, he can play, if he goes into 5-8, he's going to be straight into that style. It doesn't work for the the best players in the world in those positions. And then the only place that'll work for him is at fullback. And that's like, if the whole game plan is well, if Tedesco gets injured, well, then you're not a very good coach. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. it's terrible, man. Uh, it's so disappointing. I was, um, just, I, I was listening to the, the Cumberland Throws podcast today, and they were discussing Origin and the Parramatta players involved. Mm-hmm. They kind of made a good point in that, if these players weren't good enough to win the series when it was alive, um, it, they're on a hiding to nothing now. And yeah. they shouldn't be asked to dig Freddie out of the hole he's put himself in. Yeah. And, and you know, they're never going to turn down an Origin jersey. Uh, and they shouldn't. You know, it's, it's a big thing for their careers and to be able to say, I played Origin. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you've literally, they're not going to win the series. Uh the most they can do is win a me- essentially a meaningless game and yeah. risk some injury that could jeopardise their club's um, finals chances. And that goes for, for all the players in this game, really. Yeah, um, There's always a, a risk of that injury. And also for Parramatta is they've got to play again this weekend and they're without three of their best players. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the big thing, I think, is, is the loss of Clint Gutherson. 
Mm. Yeah, that changes everything for the Eels. He's, just, he's the Iron Man for us. I think he's missed one game since he came back from his ACL in 2018. Yeah. And that one game was not through injury. That was because Brad rested him leading into a final series. <laughs> you know, he doesn't miss games for us. And yeah. I know Sean Russell will do his best, uh, but he's not Clint. And the fact that we're also missing Mitch um, and obviously Dylan Brown, who we'll get to shortly. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we are very much um, under strength against the Warriors side that has no origin players. And are playing, playing so on. good. They're playing really good footy. The only thing is, though, they may be missing Sean Johnson, which obviously is a big out for them. Mm-hmm. Um, if if uh, his child can time the arrival for Saturday, that would be fantastic <laughs> um, for us. That would give us a shot at winning this game. Um, but, you know, I, I could I could really go on that. Paramount is the only side this season to be playing all three matches before Origin. Um Every other side has had at least one bye prior to an Origin game, giving them mm-hmm. the ability to, you know, not play a game with their Origin players out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not only are we playing this week, but we're playing against a side that has no Origin players and generally doesn't. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's been quite a while since the Warriors have had an Origin player in their side. It might be, I think, Ryan Hoffman when he was playing. Um, yeah, it's, man, that's a long time ago now, hey? Yeah, there might have been one or two that slipped through there just given the... Um, just the volume of players that end up playing Origin and, and um, move around these days. There might be someone mm-hmm. missing, but yeah, it's a it's it's going to be it's going to be really tough this weekend without. And it's a it's like the way with how close competition is too. Like that the two points now, and now we've get to the point where there's not that many games left really. Um, you know, you don't want to be dropping points, but like in that sixth place. It's it's a weird position to be in because like a couple of bad weeks and you can just be out of it, you know. It's yeah. like even Penrith. It's weird to think that Penrith has had a pretty damn good season, and they're not that far out of the bottom of like being out of the eight. If they had no. a bad month, they're out. That's it. It's all over. Yeah. So well, even even a bad fortnight is pushing it because mm. the Cowboys are on twenty points mm. and they're in ninth. Yeah. Um, it's that, an insane season. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really, oh, it's really close, which is nice to to see. But also the buyers are really throwing that table out. Like um, I read when the Titans sacked Holbrook, they said, oh, they're equal with the eighth place, the Eels. And I checked, and I was like, yeah, but the Titans have had three buys, and the yeah, Eels have had yeah. one. Like, there's a big difference there. They've got six points for nothing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's a big difference between sitting eighth and you've had one buy and sitting ninth and you've had three buys exactly and, and listen anybody that was defending holbrook's coaching i just was like i'm sorry we cannot talk <laughs> <laughs> like his record spoke for itself um now considering how close the season is man this sucks to have to talk about this considering how close the season is how important everything is right now and dylan brown he has been given a, I believe it's a seven-week suspension that's backdated from when he was first suspended. He pleaded guilty to, I believe it was, uh, I believe it was indecent assault. Was that no, what they called? It's, it's a new charge, so it used to be called indecent assault. They okay. change it to sexual touching without consent. Okay, and he pleaded guilty to, I believe, two of the charges, yeah. and some of the others were dropped. The other three were dropped. Yeah. Um. 
and there's whatever you and me say that like there's no answer that's the right answer no. all right so let's get that out the way i was i thought that the seven weeks i wouldn't have been surprised if it was the rest of the year but when i heard seven weeks i thought that that probably makes sense in terms of how the nrl would look at it mm. although it still feels wrong in a way i thought that the the, they gave him a forty thousand dollar fine, but twenty thousand of it was was suspended. Which I don't know what that's like suspended. No, I kind of went. You just slap him with the forty grand up front. Yes, yes, one hundred percent. He's on a big contract, right? The forty grand, he'll he'll live. <laughs> exactly. Um, the club has said that they may be looking to put other. Um, I don't even know the way they worded it, but there was other conditions that I think mm. they said they wanted to put yeah. on him during his suspension. I don't know what that includes. Um, how do you feel as an ill supporter about about this whole thing? Like, we are you an ill supporter that I don't want to put you in a terrible position because it's weird because you kind of look at it from a football's point of view and then you you look at it as a person and stuff like that. Were you one of the people that thought sack him immediately? Are you one of the people that thinks get rid of him for the year? Like what? What did you think of the outcome? I guess is what I'm trying to say. For me, it was obviously incredibly disappointing because I'd actually been discussing with a few Eels fans, like literally that week, that our 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 sides had been pretty pretty good. Like when they when they'd gone out, mm-hmm. like we hadn't we we seriously have not. I don't think we I don't think we've had anything for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of that's that's been you know serious. Obviously, Dylan was was filmed in the toilets, but that was a different matter. And given that mm-hmm. the filming was illegal, um, yeah. and it was a consensual, um, is he was with a, a woman who was consenting at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was nothing alleged that was illegal in his part. Um, but apart from that, it had been pretty pretty quiet. So then it was very disappointing to to see that. Um, I guess for me it was more like a almost like a a realistic standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of come at a lot of issues in in sport as very much like a okay that would be nice. However, we do not live in an ideal world, and we need to understand that before we start calling for players to be sacked um, yeah. or or booted immediately. Um, I thought that. Like kind of similar to yours, kind of like oh wow, seven weeks, and then I went oh they were going to include the three weeks that he's already been suspended for. I kind of mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been upset if they suspended him for the, for the rest of the year. Yeah, no, that okay, that, yeah, deserves. If it had been um, seven weeks, even from like this week, I would have been like okay, well that's what what would that have been ten weeks or so? Um, that yeah. would have felt more appropriate. Yeah, I mean I, I did I did mention you know could we get it. Could we just get the the rest of the suspension held over to next year? You know, because under Peter Volandis, sometimes mm-hmm. we need to hold up suspensions because of the fans. I know. They want right. to see the best players playing. Like, sorry, but I was just I was, I saw the opportunity there and go, you know, bloody Volandis did this last year, and then I think May's never going to serve the suspension because then he did he then did his ACL. Then he did his ACL, yeah. Um, but you know, kind of back to the the point. With, with Brown, yeah, I wouldn't have been upset if they went, he's gone for the rest of the season. You know, that's the, the kind of the line that's being drawn by the NRL. Yeah. Um, I know I discussed with some fans that were like, oh, the club should just sack him. And I went, what, so he can be picked up tomorrow by another team? 
and which what which would happen immediately which would happen immediately right let's the player of his talent would be snapped up immediately i mm-hmm. actually said when someone said would you be fine if the club sacked him tomorrow i said yes if the nrl deregistered him for the length of his contract he's just signed mm-hmm. right make it across the board right if your if your whole point is one, well, he's going to learn something. Well, I'm sorry, but if you sack him and the next day he's picked up by another club, he's learned nothing. Right? He's 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 still a professional athlete. He's still in an incredibly uh, privileged position. Um, and two, if your point is, well, the club has, you know, they can be ethically on the right side of things or morally they have the high ground, and it's okay. But this is professional sport. It is a it is a business at the end of the day. If the club thinks it can manage it PR-wise, which it has, and the game can manage it PR-wise, and it has, and it's not going to impact ticket sales, and it's not going to impact broadcast rights, then they are not going to sack someone for that mm-hmm. offence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, a fact of the matter. They're not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, as much as the NRL has, has spoken about um, its, its stance against... Um, violence against women and, and domestic violence issues and sexual assault and sexual harassment issues. Um, I don't think that they were ever going to actually deregister his contract following this incident. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also think that, and this is going to sound a bit, I'm not sure how I'm going to word this, but I also think there's an opportunity there for, for Dylan to actually show proper remorse and actually show what he's trying to do to better himself um, by maintaining his position as a, as a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you show some people that the moment you make a really dumb decision or a really dumb choice and you're punished heavily, um, they may not actually change their behavior. Like they're not given the opportunity to change their behavior or they don't have the platform to show how you can change your behavior and model that change. Yeah. Um, so that's where I, I kind of came at it from the whole, I would just, just deregister it or like sack him. I'm like, okay, but that only works if he doesn't get another contract. You know, if he picks up another contract, well, then that whole thing of, well, he's lost his privileged position in society doesn't wash because, you know, rugby league clubs will sign almost anyone. Matt Lodge yeah. is running around in the competition still. Exactly. And it, the, the other thing is too, if he was deregistered for the length of his current contract, he would get a contract immediately in rugby union. Yeah, like, that was the other thought. Is yeah, rugby would go. Yep, we'll take you. You've, mm. You you know you're you're a Kiwi. You want to play for the All Blacks. You know we'll we'll rehabilitate your image. You can come over and play rugby in New Zealand. Um, that wouldn't be the problem. I think, you know, had they gone for a longer suspension, again, no problem with it. I, mm-hmm. No issue with that. Uh, I got no issue with the the no fault stand down. Um, the only thing I will say on that is, I think the NRL needs to be a lot better in actually clearly stating what constitutes a no-fault stand-down. Because you cannot yeah. have and say, we are not um, judging guilt or innocence, but the CEO reserves the right to stand down a player charged with a crime. Because <laughs> they're judging then, guilt or innocence. <laughs> you are judging guilt or innocence. It doesn't matter yeah. what you say, you are doing that. So, for example, Brown was charged with sexual uh, touching without consent. So was George Burgess while he before he retired. He was not stood down. Yeah. So what is the difference? No yeah, one's explained that. You've got Josh Curran who was not stood down until he admitted guilt in the in a court of law. But he punched someone in the face and broke their teeth. Hmm. Um, and then you've also got um, uh, Talatau Moan who was stood down 
for assault with a hammer. But when the case was moved to a different court and his maximum uh, sentence went from 11 years to five years, boom, immediately out to play because he was no longer subject to the immediate stand down. It was then at the discretion of the CEO. Mm -hmm. But again, it's like for one player, we've decided they will be stood down. For another player, we haven't decided to stand them down. We won't tell you why, but we're also not, but we're also saying it's not judging guilt or innocence. So then what are you judging then? Are you judging damage yeah. to your brand? Like I feel that. And that's where it get. that's where it feels icky. Yeah. Like, you know, that's where it's like, you know, that it's coming down to somebody saying, well, tell me what really happened. And then it's like, oh, I reckon we can get through that, you know, and it, it feels, it doesn't feel good. And I think that's where the anger comes from with fans is that, you don't want to feel negatively about the sport and and you also don't want to feel like it's a bunch of um, corporate types that are playing the corporate game, you know, the PR game. And, and that sits wrong with, with people, I think. Yeah. I think the, you are questioning, okay, so, so why have they actually been stood down? And I think you're right. They've gone, well, this looks bad for us, so we have to be seen to be doing something about this. Mm-hmm. So we're standing that player down. And I, I kind of think that if the NRL wants to actually show how serious they are, they either make a, a, a rule that if you are charged with a crime against women or a domestic violence offence, regardless of how long you can be facing in prison, mm-hmm. you are immediately stood down. No ifs, no buts. Yeah. I, you know, I used to feel a similar way. And then there was a, a player that there was accusations made about him, and I won't even bring up then his name. you do name. have issues. That, yeah. And there have been I, a few players pro- that have faced yeah. and, and charges. It, and it turns out that they, they just are not guilty, and yeah. the judge is scathing of, of the person yeah. that made the accusation, and you probably know who I'm talking about. And that changed my point of view on the whole thing. Um, I am... Like, that's the flip side to it, is if you yeah. have that blanket rule, you could very well be suspending someone for a period of time who's done nothing wrong. Yeah, um, that's why I, I wonder if we should just, and, and it's tough, there's no right answer, but I wonder if we should just black and white go by when it's ruled by the courts, um, and it, there's no right answer with it, and it would still be messy, and you're still mm-hmm. going to get players that are running out there, and you probably don't want them running out there, but at least that way you're going by something that's a black and white decision by somebody that's seen all of the, they've seen both sides and they've made the determination rather than some, some dude that runs a footy competition. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And and all the facts have been laid out in a court mm-hmm. of law and mm-hmm. they've been appropriately assessed by the judicial system as to their guilt or innocence. Mm-hmm. Whereas like you said, it's not being ruled over by someone sitting in an office with no legal training. Mm-hmm. going, uh, yeah, suspend him, don't suspend him. Because, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you are right. If you do then bring in the blanket ban, then you do have players that are possibly suspended for a period of time who are, who are innocent. Like um, I know Luciano Lelou was, was charged with a domestic violence offence last mm-hmm. year, I think it was. And then the, the, the charges were withdrawn by, the, by the, the, the Department of Public Prosecutions. Mm-hmm. So he sat out half a season and it never even got to court. Like, he yeah. never actually got to sit in a trial. They were just withdrawn. And, okay, you're free to play now. I know you've missed half a year, but you're free to play now. Um, and then there's also, like, you know, issues around um, 
how police prosecute things like we saw with Curtis Scott and Tom Starling, yeah. both charged with assaulting police. And then you, you gets to court and the magistrate is like, the police are in the wrong. <laughs> you have no case to answer here. The police have a case, case to answer. Like yeah. you physically assaulted someone for, for no reason. Um, mm-hmm. But those guys were charged with, with assault. And I actually um, was, was speaking to a, a few lawyers and the, they were saying that it's it's quite normal for police to overcharge someone in the in order to position themselves to get a plea deal. Yeah. So they get the conviction recorded. They don't have like a pointless arrest on their on their their service record, um, and they can show that their their prosecution and their successful conviction rates are up. Like the whole thing with Dylan Brown being charged with five offences, his lawyer immediately said outside court, "Well, we don't believe that five. Basically, we don't believe the five is the appropriate number here." Like, yeah. um, I know we're getting to a very kind of lawyer arguments and neither of some lawyers, but you're, you're right in that, okay, even if you do bring in that blanket ban, there's always the risk that you're going to suspend someone who's completely innocent of, of what they've been accused of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we saw it with Sean Kenny Dow where his, his now ex-partner literally was looking to extort him. Like, went to the club to make the complaint and was looking to get a payout and then went to court. Yeah. And uh, like, I just remember the, because I think I wrote an article when he got charged and it, and it was along the lines of just get, just get him out of the game straight away. And then when I, then when the judgment come down and I read the, the judge's quotes and I was like, this, this poor guy. And it, it just, it changed my thoughts on um, preemptive, suspensions for players because you just never know and and what we hear a lot of in the media of what's going on with court cases and incidents and stuff like that we're hearing a tiny shred that somebody heard from someone like almost Chinese whispers and so you don't really know what's going on and that's why I and I've done it for a long time now I just say look I'm, I'm waiting until it's been adjudicated by the court yeah and that that's where it comes to Brown when he when he did plead guilty and it was it was like man well th- this is just really bad for the eels and it's really mm. bad for him and and how do you handle this and i don't know the answer to it and i'm i'm glad that i'm not in charge of having to make these decisions i can i know that when penrith had um tyrone may in the side <clears throat> and and it's, it's a bit different it, and it's weird to say, but it was different because he was a different level of player. Yes, there's always that. Which is weird, man. There's that. There's that um, incredibly talented player like Brown mm. who gets a conviction for a sexual offence, mm-hmm. gets seven weeks suspension, but will remain in the NRL. And then Tyrone made it very quickly. Well, it, it kind of came up more after his uh, his little post on Instagram, which. Basically Mate, spat in the face of, of his victim and and what he'd done. Yeah, and look, I can tell you, I'd, I'd never talked to one Penrith supporter, mm. and not one of them, that weren't like, I just wish he was not at the club. Yeah, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm saying that I'm toning down what they would say to me. Like, I, no one wanted him there. And everyone, I, there was so much relief. Like, when he, he did that post, and it like, I mean, there's nothing you need to say about it. It was, and then the club was like, right, you're gone. 
the relief yeah. of everyone I know that supported Penrith was like, thank God that's fucking over. Yeah. You know, I saw that from a lot of Penrith fans. It was like, okay, good. We've got a very convenient reason to move him on. Yeah. But you're right. There is that level in rugby league circles of there's a certain level of um, talent and ability that almost insulates you from actually, um, you know, really copying it or, or getting shipped off to Super League. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that with Todd Carney for, for such a long time. He was a talented footballer and literally the judge's reason in Goulburn after he went on that rampage for not sending him to prison was that he was a talented footballer. Yeah, yeah. Like, like how how much more insulated from your um, your your responsibilities can you get? And I guess that does relate to the point that a lot of other Parramatta fans are making that you just sack Dylan Brown because he needs to be taught a lesson. But how again, would I come you, back to the. How would you? Okay, so uh, man, he, he's a good player. We both yeah. know that, right? And he's he's having a, he's been was having a fantastic season too. Um, if they sacked him tomorrow. I know it would be disappointing and it definitely changes the eels. But would there be part of you that would be like, he's not our problem now? Definitely be a part of me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as I said, if he's then picked up the next day by another club yeah. within the NRL. Or which go which would in, happen. Which would happen. Which we know that would happen. happen. <laughs> I mean, you've still got, like I said, you've still got Matt Lodge running around. He's been at, what, three clubs now or something? Yeah. Um, he's probably not even worth the the money these days, to, to be perfectly honest, with his injury history and and his form. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like as an Eels fan, I'd, I'd be like, okay, well, there's, the club's drawn a line in the sand and said, you do this, you're out the door, which is an admiral stance. But as I said, it's a competitive sporting business, mm-hmm. and whilst and this goes for the NRL too, whilst the player, as long as a player is not uh, either has enough talent to avoid really serious, you know, repercussions unless they commit a really serious offence, which generally results in jail time anyway, mm-hmm. um, which solves the problem there of having to punish them yourself. But, you know, unless a player is kind of deemed a, a PR or a business risk, then they're almost kind of, well, the, the NRA will do what it needs to do in terms of suspensions and fines, um, and then we'll kind of move on. Um, yeah. I've got a colleague at work who's a Bulldogs fan and, and, you know, obviously mentioned the Brown thing to me and they asked me for my take. And I said, well, you know what, they'll, they'll also, he'll, you know, he'll probably end up pleading guilty. They'll suspend him for a few weeks. Um, there'll be some kind of redemption story in the paper leading into the yeah. finals. And then by next season, most people will, will have forgotten about it. Right. Mm-hmm. That is just how the rugby league media works. But the fact that, and I mentioned this too, uh, it's not like a, I'm not doing like a what if or a what about is what Brown did was completely and utterly reprehensible yeah. um, and wrong. But I also said the the microcosm of, of rugby league media is the James Tedesco racism incident. He was racist towards someone, didn't take responsibility for it, mm-hmm. did a puff piece in the Daily Telegraph or something, did nothing in terms of actually apologizing or um, correcting his behavior and just said he'd learnt from the experience, moved on, and everyone's moved on from it. Yeah. And it's like it, he was racist and he did nothing to correct it. And he kind of almost played the victim as in, I've learnt from this, it's been a tough experience for me. And I went, You haven't learnt from it. You've just got away with it because you're the New South Wales captain and you're the captain of the Roosters and you play for Australia. Yeah, that was a weird one, hi. Hey? That was a really weird one. It, it, yeah. 
I, it's, and there's no right answers with any of this stuff. No. Like, it's I mean, such a it, difficult thing to actually, you go, look, we look at the reason why it was brought in, in the first place, and no, no fault standouts, because you had three players in one offseason all charged with rape. Yeah. Like, from yeah. a, from a, uh, a game perspective, you've got to go, we have to do something about this. Yeah. Like, this is not something we can just let go because, you know, three players and, and two of them relatively high profile in terms of Hayne and Burgess. Um, so not Burgess, uh, DeBellin, um, being charged with that, with, with that crime. And the other one, uh, Tristan Saylor, um, also being charged, but not quite with the same profile. Mm. You just go, well, they, they were basically, they said, well, we've got to do something, we'll do this, and then did not think about how this would play out over the, the preceding years. Yeah, and I, I think that that knee-jerk reaction, which I understand completely, it has made things a little bit messy, and it's it's made it so that um, we're in this situation where we're like, there, there's no black and white with any of this stuff, and, and I think that that's a... Sometimes that's a bad thing. Like sometimes it's good to have nuances with this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And, and, but at the same time, I, that's why I think you've just got to go straight to the, let the courts decide it and put your hands up and say, listen, we're a footy comp, man. I'm a footy administrator. Like I, I, I'm not the moral compass. I, you know, as much as people would love footy to be a moral compass sometimes. And just put your hands up and say, I don't know the answer to this. And so I'm going to leave it to the court system. And and I think that's where I've I've fallen back to. Um, and, and as as you said, it, it was the Sean Kenny Dow one that that got me. That that really got me, and that changed my perspective of it. Um, and I, you know, the other thing that people find weird, and I understand it, is the only player that is that I can think of that has ever been banned 100% from the NRL, never to return, no matter what they do, is Israel Folau. And he did a ridiculous Instagram post. And it, and when you weigh up an Instagram post compared to actually harming someone, mm. I completely yeah. understand people going, that doesn't line up. Yeah, like you had Russell Packer returning to the NRL after he stomped on someone's head. <sighs> Matt Lodge, who the only reason he's not in Rikers is because he's Australian, and they went, he's not our problem. Go, go back to Australia. Mm. Okay. Um, there have been, you know, a lot of people who've actually physically harmed people that are still running around in the game, um, and 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 again, you know, they're happy to have them there. And it looks, to some degree, rugby league is a good way to to reform someone. If they, my my position is, if they made that mistake as a young man before they become an athlete. Um, before they're they're um they've really done anything in life or they've ended up in the wrong crowd. Like there've been some players like uh the former Parramatta player Manu Mau, who mm-hmm. was running with a street gang in South Auckland mm-hmm. and 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 physically assaulted someone and then did time in prison. Like I almost think that sometimes having a player come back to the game after they've done time in prison is better than a guy who gets let off or given a community corrections order or something and can keep mm. playing because they don't understand what they've lost. And, and there's the other element too of like, you don't, and, and obviously when I say this, this depends on the offense, mm, 100%. but there's, there's also the element of you don't just want to have 
an immediate write-off of someone's entire existence because they did something wrong, you know, and I understand that, that, you know, you want to punish them appropriately for what they did wrong, but there also has to be scope within reason for allowing a person to develop as a person and to work through what they did wrong, understand it, make themselves a better person and, and and make it i don't know if you can make amends at some point with with an offense but uh you want to you want there to be an element where you can say look that that and we're because we're talking about nrl players that guy fixed his life up he got himself together and, and look where he's at now you want that to be able to be an option um but it has to and but it also has to be within reason like at some point it's like it's like nah you know um man it, it's it's such a complicated issue and it's it's one that is nuanced and uh like i said there's no right or wrong answers to any of it and i'm so glad that i'm not the one making the decisions because yeah, yeah. it is very difficult yeah and i just want to like point out that that my issue so much isn't with um brown being stood down due to the, the policy and the ceo decision it's more or less the the, again, the inconsistency, we said it's yeah. a lot rugby league, but the inconsistency of the application of the rule, like it's not Brown shouldn't have been stood down. It's like, why was he stood down and other players who were charged with, you know, at least one of the players charged with a similar offence was not stood down. Mm-hmm. That's more the, the issue I've got. And like I said, I've got you know, seven weeks, hell, they could have suspended him for the rest of the season. I'd be disappointed, but I go, you know what? He put himself in that position. He did that. He's admitted to doing that. He should cop it. Um, and, you know, ultimately he's, you know, impacted his victim and then he's also impacted his teammates. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I assume that he's, uh, I, I think, I think the, the Paramount statement said he's also apologized to the playing group for what he's done, mm-hmm. um, because he's let them down, particularly at a time where they could really do with him. Like it's not yeah. a case of, uh, Oh, it'd be nice to have him. It's like literally we are playing a back roller and at five eight because of your stupidity. Yeah. Um, and you you know could potentially be costing your side um, a shot of points. And I get sport is different to life. That that poor woman's got to live with what's happened to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know is what 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 may have developed out of out of that uh, that um, that incident for her. But in a sporting context, it's also. Um, Dylan's let his club down. He's let his fans down. He's let the teammates down, um, and he's also then got to work his way through that as well. Yeah, uh, which is pales in comparison to what he's he's, he's done to that to that woman. Yeah, uh, but well, yeah, I, again, as as an Eel fan, very very frustrating that this is what is occupying a good chunk of our <laughs> discussion, rather than yeah. the fact that the side has um, you know got into the top eight and is actually. Managed to string five wins in a row together for the first time in a few years. They turned they turned it around, and like it was, it was not that long ago. Um, I was thinking, man, if the Eels miss the finals, like this is a disaster because they they're they're better than that. They're, you know, I thought that they were going to take a little bit of a step back, but not miss the eight step back. And yeah, it was starting to feel like that at the start of the year when we lost those first yeah. three games. Yeah. Um, even though they were very close, it was very much like a, a defenseman missing. Like apart yeah. from the Melbourne game, it was like, uh, well, you score, we score, you score, we score. And it's like, well, if we want to win the comp, 
our defense is going to have to improve a lot, a lot more. Um, and it has <laughs> the past, I think five games, six games, we've been conceding something like 14 points a game or something, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think is only second to Penrith. Um, yeah. And we're scoring 30 something points a game. So I think the fir- the best or the second best uh, point scoring record in the competition. I, I think that the, the game against me, the game, it was like Manly and the Bulldogs. And they were the ones where I was like, okay, if they, if they lose them games, that's yeah. probably it. And the fact that they won those games and they had to win them, they were very important, even though they, they were playing like opponents that weren't that strong. That was a bit of a turning point for me. Um, and it, it's going to be interesting to see how they, they close out the season. Um, how do you th- how do you feel about them in terms of their ability to win the premiership? Because I, my feeling at the moment is that you've got Penrith and, and Souths feel like they're the two teams that are properly really set for a premiership tilt. Um, the Broncos to a point, but you've always got to worry about Adam Reynolds getting his September injury, which unfortunately he always gets. Um, they're also a bit. In terms of finals footy, they haven't got a huge amount of experience with some of their key players. So that worries me a little bit too. And then I feel like there's the rest and the Storm. Let's put them to the side because the Storm are the Storm. And if they won the Premiership at the end of the year, we'd all go fucking Storm. Of course they yeah. did. But um, how do you, so do you feel as though they can make a real tilt at it? The Paramount Eels, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the, the fact they beat, they've beaten both Penrith and the Rabbits this year <laughs> is uh, is a, a big kind of feather in their cap, particularly the Rabbitohs. They've had mm. an absolutely shocking record against them in recent seasons. Um, for me, that was the real kind of change in that side. They turned up and they bashed. They bashed the Rabbitohs, a, a fully fit Rabbitohs, by the way. That was um, shocking, that game, wasn't Michelle it? Mitchell, uh, Cody Walker, Campbell Graham, all the guys that, that you would expect in the Rabbitohs side were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just we, we just bashed them up and mm-hmm. and and really went at them hard. And then off the back of that, we had the good wins against um, Manly and the Dogs and really started to hit our straps. I think it's a big part of it. I think it's going to be in the next few weeks, particularly how we keep going without Brown. Um, you know, you don't want to lose a couple of games in a row, um, and you want to kind of keep the momentum going. Although, you know, to say we, Oh, we'll just keep winning is, is going to be tough. You know, that would end up being, what, 16 wins in a row or something? Um, yeah. <laughs> that's not going to happen. There's going to be a loss in there at some point. I think the, the top four is probably the most important thing for Parramatta. Yeah. If they get top four, then I can really see them going all the way because there's that usual stat that if you're outside the top four, you're not winning the competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, like I really said, is that that defensive aspect of it is what's kind of really impressed me recently, particularly with all the the player changes they've had throughout the season. Like I said, they've only had one game with their top 17. Um, they've had Sean Lane out for most of the year, the Regan Campbell-Gillard for a good chunk of the year. Uh, obviously, Josh Hodgson is gone for the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were picking and choosing wingers at the start of the year with between Lumi Lumi and, and Maker Sivo and Sean Russell and Wonga Blake. Uh, Bailey Simonson has somehow turned into a very good centre, <laughs> um, and then and then really that 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 surprise packet of Parramatta's bench coming out of almost nowhere to actually be quite a good bench. Yeah, yeah. It's probably the the really that's probably the most pleasing thing 
we've had a real struggle the past few seasons of having a very good starting forward pack and then not much after that. Yeah. I think that hurt us in the grand final and that's hurt us in previous scenes, but it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be an issue at the moment. Um, and yeah, I, I, again, probably cautiously optimistic seeing how we go over the next few weeks, because like you said, it's such a compressed table, I think between the Knights in 14th to Penrith at first, there's nine points. Yeah. You know, there's, that 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 that's four wins and there's a bunch of teams that, that are still to get buys and the like in there, you know. So I, I'm not going to sit here and try and do the maths with teams who need buys and don't have buys and all that. <laughs> but the fact that there's still only nine points between the the top and and the 14th position compared to the last few seasons where Penrith have had a gap of like eight points to second, I think, in in one season. Yeah. Well, like you look at last year when when uh, Cleary got suspended. And Luai was out, and, and uh, James Fisher Harris was out with injury as well. And it was like, yeah, we can lose four or five games, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. It's not like that this year. No, no. And like just saying that, I think Parramatta it's has very much become a side that um, has a very deep top squad, similar mm-hmm. to Melbourne and Penrith. It's been a mark of Melbourne over years. You know, to get that journeyman, they just stick in the first grade and go, he's he's ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns into a very good player. I think Paramount has done a fantastic job to identify some of those types of guys. Or I remember speaking to Christian Welch and asked him what was the big thing that he kind of that, that made Melbourne as good as they are. And he said they don't really throw you in the deep end and expect you to swim in first grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they slowly blood you. They get you ready for first grade. You're a man. You've played against men by the time you're playing in the NRL for Melbourne. I think, you know, you see that in Penrith, although you guys did debut a lot of young blokes. Um, there's a bit more of that. And now that you've got that very, very good 17, starting 17, yeah. you can bring guys in like Scott Sorensen. You know, yeah, and, and like even, more experienced. even someone like Jack uh, Cogger. Jack Cogger, where yeah. They, where they were like, oh, is this a big step up for you? And he was like, no, I've been, I've been running with the first grade squad for weeks and weeks now. Like, and we're, we're playing against them and stuff in training. They're Like, they're... There's no uh, there's no wall around the first grade team and the rest of the, no. the extended football squad going through to their juniors. It's all sort of they all move in the same direction and yeah, it's a that's a big key and um, we well, got that with Jamin Salmon too. You know, he, he yeah. played I think probably close to 50 first grade games for us when he came over to you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, you can play him off the bench or you can start him in the halves or you start him in the back row or or in the centres just an experienced NRL player who's played, who knows what it means to play in the NRL. And I think you're starting to see that a lot with Parramatta and just the, the age or the experience level of their squad going up. Mm. And then those players they add to are either talented young guys or guys that have been around for a bit. You know, they're, they're, they're not teenagers anymore. They're not coming fresh out of uh, New South Wales Cup. Uh, even Brendan Hands, I think he's 23. Yeah. So he's not that. That that young in footballing terms, like you know, young guy, nineteen twenty, <coughs> he played I think two seasons of reserve grade at Penrith when we picked him up. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, he's had that experience of training with first grade, being in and around that first grade squad, um, and you know, then again, guys like Bailey Simonson who seems to have found that he's good. He's a good player. <laughs> Just don't stick mm-hmm. him on the wing. Um, yeah, <laughs> and he becomes a much better player when he's in the centres. You know, I, I I also think you could see 
like I, and I, trial games are trial games. So let's say that from the start. But when you know the trial game that Penrith played against Parramatta, and I, I, and it was Penrith's reserve grade team. I think mm. there was maybe one or two first grade or regular first graders in it. And I honestly expected Parramatta to absolutely whip them. And it was it was a very weird game in in it seeing twenty two all or something, didn't it? Yeah, it was say it was something like that. Whatever it was, it was really close. And Parramatta had to like play pretty good to to get back into it because the, the Panther side started off really good and they weren't doing anything special. They were just same old Penrith stuff, you know. They just grind the shit out of teams. But it was really interesting to, it, because it was a a really good example of a a lot of first grade players in the Eels team it wasn't their best team, but but a almost complete reserve grade team for Penrith. And just seeing the way that the reserve grade team for Penrith they they played exactly like the first grade team, and and you could see where that that. Uh, integration had happened through the coaching and the playing against them and the the training and and that game was i just found it really interesting just happened to be against Parramatta, you know Mm. um but and i think that more teams should look at that because with the storm they've had their the queensland cup combination uh for so long and the queensland cup is like i mean you're you're playing in the queensland cup you're a professional footy player you're a seasoned player as well for the most part and I think Penrith has created something that within their system, and, and they've, they've, they're a bit of an anomaly that they've got the luxury of doing it because they've got them numbers to work with. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see if we see more teams going down that line because I bet there are some teams where it's not like that at all. Like if you told me yeah. that the Dragons have zero connection with their, their reserve grade team, I wouldn't be shocked. Half their first grade side has no connection with each other. <laughs> That's a good point. It's like a New South Wales team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I think the, the other probably big change for, for Parramatta this year as well, it really seems like, uh, obviously, we've got Trent Barrett on the coaching staff, which seems to have really improved overall the kind of like attacking structures. Mm-hmm. But... Very much a, a, a trust from Brad Arthur in his in his more inexperienced players because he's mm-hmm. been forced to play them. Yeah, yeah. You know, with with the injuries we've had, particularly to our forward pack, and he said that he goes, you know, you learn a, a bit about these guys when they're asked to play bigger minutes or have a bigger role on the side. Mm-hmm. And he really seems to be trusting those guys to come on and do a job when needed. And mm-hmm. I think that's always been a strength of, of Penrith and Melbourne is there's a real trust in the guys outside the starting thirteen to come on and do what they need to do. And, and, and the other been there for Parramatta for, for a while. And the other thing is too, when a young bloke goes out and he just does the job, yep. don't feel like, well, he didn't really show me something amazing. Like just doing the job in your first, like even 20, 30 games is absolutely amazing for a young player. Like if he's going out there and he's not stuffing everyone, everything up or, you know, panicking in certain situations. If he's just going out there and getting K's into his legs and he just does the job, that is a positive, you know. And I think sometimes teams, they put a junior out there and they just do the job and they say, oh, he didn't didn't light it up like a 19-year-old Greg Inglis did, so get rid of him. And I think that's why we're seeing so many teams picking up experienced first-grade players from other clubs that are – that you, they're putting them in and it's like, oh, where did this guy come from? Because he's really good, you know? Because yeah. I think other teams have, have given up on them too early. Yeah, I, I've, I don't pay a lot of attention to Phil Gould, but he's right in that a lot of players, 
mature at at different age, at different ages, and a lot of them it's, it's younger. But, yeah. Uh, sorry, older. It's particularly you know, forwards. They <laughs> they haven't even grown into their body by the time they're 21 or 22. How can you expect them to be pain Haas? Exactly. Hesse you know, exactly. Makatora is perfect for that. You know, he didn't debut until his late 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, but now he's a regular first grader. Andrew Davey, saying didn't debut till he was 28. Um, and even some of the other players, I think you've got that uh, Braden McGrady who debuted at 26 for the Dolphins, um, who, you know, admittedly they've got a fair few injury concerns, but mm-hmm. still uh, to debut in your mid-20s in the NRL isn't necessarily a knock on your talent. It's more or less just you've developed along at a different, at a different pace to some of the other players. Yeah. And, there is that tendency in a lot of professional sport to chase the shiny new thing yes. rather than the reliable, you know, machine that you might actually have sitting in your squad. Mm-hmm. And it takes um it takes a bit of patience there too to recognize that okay, this kid might be really good. I think you might be seeing this a bit with Joe Suali'i, shiny new thing for the Roosters. He's now been in the NRL for a bit, and obviously he's signed now for rugby, mm-hmm. which may be playing a part in this, but. You know, I think that the the time he's now spent in first grade since he's been a teenager is starting to wear on his body a bit. Yeah. Like that physic the physicality that he's played with has been impressive for a guy his age. But he may also not have been completely physically ready, if you know what I mean. Like he his body could do it, but can it do it for a sustained period of years? And you is know the, what? Is the other question. And that comes back to remember they were gonna change the rule to bring him in. Mm. And well, they and- did. They didn't play him until he was 18. And they, and they just, yeah, yeah. And they, it just happened that they didn't do it. Um, but, and that, and that's the key thing. Like to be a, to be a teenager that is physically ready to play in the NRL, you are like, it's such an outlier. Like I think of Jason Taumalolo who turned into from him from a teenager to him when he was say 23, 24, it's a massive leap in what he was doing on the field. But the fact that he could physically handle being a, a first grader at such a young age and it didn't completely destroy him, that that is like the outlier of outliers. Because for most players, it's going to destroy you physically. And, and that worries me about when you see some some young dudes that come in and they're like – Walker is a great example, Sam Walker at the Roosters – He's got sk- he's got the skills to play first grade. There's no doubt about that. Physically, it yeah. has destroyed him. Yeah, like he's had that. He had an ongoing shoulder injury, and now he's had that knee injury. And the shoulder injury was definitely because of his size, because he was getting targeted in the defensive line. Yeah, and he was putting his body through forces that it's not uh, not used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's had to. Then he, he's, he's you know credit to him. He's tough enough to keep playing with that injury. But it can't be good for a kid his age to be playing with that injury. No. And and again, you know, you might have seen the bit of that. It caught up with him. And tactically, teams got used to him. But also physically, it might have been wearing on his body a bit for him to keep turning up week in, week out. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, goes back to the, the point that we're making in that um, sometimes that uh, the, almost the, the deeper that your experience is in your top 30, the, the better it is long term for you your side and, and the better you are, the longer a season goes. Cause you never play a season with only 17 or 18 guys. No, no, it's uh, man. It, I, I love getting you on the podcast cause we go deep on some issues. It's fantastic. <laughs> now, before I let you go, I uh, just want to have a look at a little bit of the eels draw coming up. So you've got, it's going to be, 
it's going to be very difficult to play against the Warriors this weekend with uh, key players out. The Warriors are in good form. Um, that could go either way, that game. Then you've got the Titans, who are reliably unreliable. Yeah. As long as you play a good second half, you should win it. Um, the Cowboys, you never know what you're going to get out of the Cowboys. Sometimes they look fantastic, and it's like, are they a premiership threat? And other times you're like, oh, man, they're, they're absolutely abysmal. Yep. The Storm are a team that, I mean, they're the Storm. They're always fantastic. Then you play the Dragons. That's probably two points you're racking up already, right? Yeah, that should be. Well, you know, if you're going to be a premiership threat, that should be a yes. Yeah. The Broncos, which is going to be a real tough one. Broncos are very good. Luckily, it's at the Gabba and not Suncorp. Yeah, true. The Gabba, man, we, we need to never it play unnatural. at the Um, The Roosters, I would put that down as a win for you guys. What do you think? The form that we're, we've been showing and compared to the Roosters and the way they've been struggling, we should that should be a win for us. Um, you know, but who knows how both teams are traveling by round 25. It's a, yeah. Yeah. A we're projecting, but yeah, it should be one of those games where, you know, a couple of years ago we're going, oh, I don't think we're going to win this. Whereas now it should be one of those games where look, we should be able to beat the roosters given their struggles lately. Which takes us into it. You've got to buy in the last round, but in the second last round, you're playing the Panthers. Um, Dependent on, and I think you'll be fine by this stage. But well, look, um, advantage us because they're playing you in regular season. Yeah, true. <laughs> Not finals games. <laughs> That's It'd true. It'd be okay if we have to beat you by a field goal in regular season, but not so much if <laughs> if it's in a if it's in a finals match. That's true. I'd be more confident for you guys if it was the last round of the season because I think Penrith will def will definitely rest players in the last round. Yeah. But you definitely don't want to get to that game and need to win it. Like, no, no, I think you you really want to be having those, those points set aside, which I mean, the, the real positive thing is the, the, the five matches during the past seven weeks, mm-hmm. we've collected all 14 points available because of those two buyers that were in there as well. Mm-hmm. That's really put us into a much better position. Um, Points wise, yeah, because I think that that's got us on what that's got us on twenty two points. You're probably looking at twenty eight points, I think, to 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 make the eight. That yeah, I think that's uh, the traditionally what it's ended up being. You know, so you're going okay. You need at least three wins um, to make the eight, and the way Paramount is playing, you go they should get they should get more than that. So they should be challenging for top four um, by the end of the season. I think a lot of it's just going to depend on how we get out of this origin period. Yeah. Um, it's not just this week. It's uh, relying on the fact those guys don't get injured. <laughs> and, and the other thing is that you sometimes see, and it's it's super random, but you see some uh, teams that have had a, a few plays in origin, they've got a bit of a hangover from it and they just need a couple of weeks to sort of get it out of their system. And, you, you never know how it's going to affect your team. So it'll be interesting to see how the Eels get And some of the teams we play, you know, the Titans and Cowboys are both in that boat. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're, the, couple, they're the first two weeks after Origin. Uh, and the Titans, obviously, a good chunk of them are in Origin. So are Cowboys. So, yeah. And, and both those guys, it's almost what versions of those teams show up for those games. 
Um, and I think it's only going to be our second game in Townsville um, at the new at the new stadium. Oh, really? Yeah, I think the first time we played there was that preliminary final last year. Yeah. So there's at least that going for us. We've been to that stadium. We've won. Got the um, job done. Yeah. Got the job done. But again, as you said, it's going to probably depend on which version of the Cowboys rock up um, to that game. <clears throat> and obviously Melbourne in Melbourne. We haven't. The, the Melbourne have only beaten us once in the regular season in the past few seasons, and that was round one this year, which is almost a guaranteed two points for Melbourne. Yeah. They don't lose <laughs> the first round. That's crazy, that record of Bellamy's. My God. But we are at least playing at Marvel. So, again, it's not at Amy Park. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, home ground advantage, but I think some of it is, is actually nullified by those games being played not at the traditional home ground like the Gabba and at Marvel. Both sides are almost in the same boat. They don't really play there in terms of the ground orientation and in yeah. how, you know, how the crowd is. They're further away from the field and you probably don't have that very um, – uh, like hemmed in feeling that you would mm-hmm. otherwise if you're playing at Suncorp or at Amy Park. The, the, like, and I think you saw that with the Roosters having to play the uh, SCG for the last yeah. couple of years before they moved into um, their new stadium. Well, the, I say their new stadium; it's really South's new stadium. Um, <laughs> it's look, it's a it's a really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes from here because I feel like it's going to it could really make the club not just this year, but going forward, if they if they just continue the role, bring it together, have a good final series, no matter what the outcome is, it could be really solidifying for the club. But because it's so close and there's so many different factors affecting not only everyone else, but the Eels in particular, it, 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 it could go either really well or like it could fall apart really quickly. And I say that, and it could do the same thing for about half a dozen other teams at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's a very, very close competition. A couple so of bad close. weeks, and you're you're on the edge of the eight, and you're battling to get back in. Yeah, I mean, I could be I could be filthy in like two months from now that Penrith missed the finals. Like it's it's that sort of thing. Don't think they will, but it's that close. Like it's it's really interesting. But um, it's been awesome talking about the Eels. You know so much about them. That's why I love having you on. And uh, I, I'm not going to say when we'll get you on next because I feel like whenever I do that, it's not yeah. good for the fucking heels, man. <laughs> it's just terrible for them. Yeah, yeah. No, no worries, mate. Thanks for having me on again. Um, where can we find you? Uh, so I own the website One Ideal. So if you go to oneideal.com, um, that is your home for all eels discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, it's pretty busy this season, given the the form of the side and all the different um, <laughs> iterations of team lists we've had and discussions around players not keeping their hands to themselves. Do you see Do you see the traffic and the general activity on there go up more when years are winning or more when years are not going so great? Uh, it's it's generally losing. You tend to get a lot more comments. Really? Um, that's like in terms of engagement, because you know people like the negative negative discussion they tend to be attracted to that um mm-hmm. but in terms of overall traffic you always get a bump when the team's winning because people are looking for eels content they're they're googling it and they're they're finding you know all the different sites that are hosting rugby league content so mm-hmm. um it's it's kind of that weird split right you probably get more comments and more discussion when the team's performing poorly but um 
in terms of overall traffic, there's always a bump when the side's winning. Winning fixes everything, as they say. <laughs> and uh, last question. Um, it, forums can be kind of weird little environments. Yeah. I, uh, I would have thought that the most hated teams are probably the Bulldogs and the Panthers on, on the forum. But is there someone weird that it's like, oh, man, they just fucking hate this team? Well, so Penrith, funnily enough, don't get a huge mention. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a big discussion point. It's usually Manly, the Bulldogs, Melbourne very much for the uh, the, the cheating um, in 2009. Yeah. Um, and, and St. George, you know, we've got, we've got a, a good bunch of, of people who – uh, remember the original St George Dragons and the <laughs> the grand finals in the seventies. Yeah, um, wow. So there's there is a very interesting mix of of age groups and there. there's people that are from the seventies and eighties yeah. who remember a lot of those 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 teams under Terry Fernley and Jack Gibson and John Peard through to a lot more recent recent fans as well. Um, so. It's still very traditional in terms of the uh, the hatred. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. Yeah, it's very much uh, hate Manly, hate the Bulldogs, hate the Storm, and and the Dragons kind of get a mention, although given their – it very much depends on how good that opposition is going. Yeah, that, like, that's of, the thing, yeah. There's a lot of laughing at the Bulldogs at the moment more than hatred. Because <laughs> like, Gus is there. It, it and, changes quick when, when teams start going good, though, eh? Like when they get a little oh, yeah. sniff. It's just like, yeah, fuck those guys again. Yeah, the only team that has consistent hatred is Manly, which I think is true for the for all other 15 sides in the competition. Everyone hates Manly. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I, I, it's been really weird from a Panthers point of view because we've kind of been one of those teams that, like, uh, I, I wouldn't say a neutral team for most people, but we haven't offended, like, the competition like other teams have, like Manly, fuck Manly. But... uh but since the Panthers have got good, all of a sudden it's been like, wow, there's some people saying some really shitty stuff about Penrith for the first time, like ever, you know, that I remember. Like on this sort of scale, it's been really kind of weird to see. And it's been sort of like, oh, this is what Melbourne fans get all the time. It's fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, whatever you're at the top of something, there's uh, then all the hatred comes out. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. But anyway, look. Thank you for coming on. It's been awesome to have you on. You will be on at an undisclosed time within the future. (laughs) uh, Thank you for everyone for listening, and we'll catch you soon. Thank you very much.